All right, folks, before we get into the main thing today, I want to let you know that this particular episode of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast is made possible by our friends at Hexagon, especially the Asset Lifecycle Intelligence Division at Hexagon, where they are doing amazing things to modernize that part of the business that we usually call enterprise asset management. Now, the best way to learn more about this is you go to Hexagon ppm.com hexagonppm.com click on the link or tap if you happen to be on your mobile device that says solutions and you'll see uh, you, you'll immediately see everything that they're about empowered engineer connected worker digital fabricator confident startup enterprise project i mean the list it's a whole digital twins it's all in there operational twins have a look at what hexagon is doing in enterprise asset management hexagonppm.com under pressure innovation in its finest hour this is the oil and gas technology podcast where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities hear about how it happens in real life with your host michael o'sullivan the views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation consortium governing body or interplanetary federation And we're back in the new Hat Studio. Um, this is, let's see, this is going to be episode, this is, I think this is 153, episode 153 for the Oil & Gas Tech show, but this is only episode number three here in the new studio. And uh, of course the studio is, uh, it, it's, I, I say it's ours, but really it's been made possible by our friends here at Arc Specialties. And I have today Hovard Ustensen who uh, I only know how to say your name because you taught me the last time you were on the show. I'm impressed. You remembered. That's, uh, <laughs> that's kind an of achievement. Sticks, it kind of sticks with you. So um, so welcome back. Thank you. And uh, it's a little cooler this time, though, than last time, right? Last time, we were at the Cannon last time, yeah, I think. we were. We were. I, I love the place. Great. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. Um, and we love the Cannon, too. Uh, um, they're great people, and, and we do still do a lot of things together with them, but, you know, it's nice to have... This is better. Science to have some robots. And we got, and we have an addition. <laughs> so for those of you who've been following along at home, uh, uh, Dan and the guys have now installed a. Um, I don't know if you can see this on the camera, but it uh, the. Uh, what, what is, it's, I don't even know what you call that thing. It's a hand. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's a grabber. It's, it's a the, grabber robot, the robot now has a grabber. I bet we could. And, and we've got the, uh, <laughs> we do have, uh, Johnny got the hat studio hats. So the hat hats is now a thing. Uh, there's only one, so I don't think I'm supposed to give it to you. But uh, I would bet that we could get the robot to grab the hat. Oh, look at that. There, just like that. Fantastic. Now it has a purpose. Technology. Has a amazing, but the robot itself doesn't move. So I, whatever it's going to grab, it, it, you got to. I don't know. I'm going to be watching this thing. That's all gotta, I know. If this thing starts moving in the middle, then, yeah, some, then I'll, something I'll, weird has happened. Anyway, yeah. so um, so uh, Hovard, thanks for coming back. Kongsberg Digital Pleasure. is yep. where you're. You're still work there, right? Yeah, still still work so, there. Okay, and <laughs> yeah. um, and I know you're. Uh, I, and I, I I don't remember exactly what you're. We'll get to that in a second, but I don't remember exactly what your whole role entails, but I do know that digital twins are like a big a big part of what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. But for those who maybe missed you the last time, a yeah. um, little bit like 
Like, who are you? And how did, oh, yeah. how did you get here? Like, don't go back to the, <laughs> oh, the big questions. Don't go back. To oh, really? Oh, I wasn't prepared for that. We were, really. we were discussing Jordan Peterson before we, we, were, before we, we turned were, the camera on. We so. could have gone on a podcast we, on that, too. <laughs> yeah, we could have. <laughs> I didn't say, why are you here? I no, just said, no. like, how, how did you okay, get that here? That helps me narrow yeah. down like, a little bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I work for Kongsberg Digital. Uh, it's a technology company based in Norway. Uh, my role there is uh, vice president of growth. So what that essentially means is I'm responsible for the, our commercial success with digital twins and production simulations in the energy market, uh, which is... Are you uh, having really any commercial success with digital? I think so, yeah, think we so. definitely are. Okay, it's, well, I want to uh, get to that, though. Also, you know, I'm going <laughs> to rotate this for just a little bit so it's pointing yeah. more at you. No problem. And not, not over there. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, so, so it's been, you know, I, a lot of people are wondering about digital, right? And it's been an ongoing, ongoing conversation for yeah, a long time. Yeah. People used to ask why, you know, why should we do this? We already do it, and uh, they were often right. But uh, what we have observed is that the conversation about digital twins has gone from why to how are we going to do this? So, yeah. so there's now a kind of a consensus that's forming around this topic, which is really nice when we've actually invested in digital twin technology for a long time. So the, I feel like the conversations have matured significantly, and we are now we're actually doing things, implementing, deploying. We've done. Uh, many, many assets uh, across different types of energy facilities. So we're very focused in yeah. the energy market. So, so we're building up a good uh, experience around that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good, good. And you are uh, from Norway originally. Uh, originally from Norway, uh, 15 years in Houston though. So now years. we're getting a little so uh, in, in between there getting, somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when I go back to Norway, now, so Kongsberg is a Norwegian company. Of course. But right. when I... When I go back to Oslo, so I was just back in Oslo, yeah. they call me the American guy, right? Oh. So now, and when I'm here, it's like, really, you're the Norwegian guy. It you right so, here, though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Because now, now you fall in between two chairs. Yeah. Like you're one of those people who are like, yeah, I've been, been out of the, the motherland for a while. So, uh. But originally, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I always wonder why do we say why do we always say I'm originally from because nobody's. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, first you, I mean, at least if you, not you migrate at some point, yeah. you, you like to, you know, yeah. where's that accent originally, coming from? Right? Yeah, yeah. And um, then you have got to try to explain, you know, what's what yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. It's um, um, does, does it when you? So here's the real test. When you go back to Norway, does it feel cold? <laughs> yeah. That, so here's the thing, right? So when you when you show up in Norway, yeah. you're, you, as a Norwegian, you know that you gotta be prepared. So you have a good windbreaker jacket, you have yeah. some wool layers. And but when you're in Houston, you kind of fall into this habit of not preparing and you're wearing all these like cotton right. layers and hoodies yeah. that yeah. are just cold. Yeah. So sometimes when winter hits in Houston, it's very unexpected. And yes. then it feels colder here than it does back there. I'm it's so glad you pointed this bizarre. out because because people don't never believe me when I say this, but, um, <laughs> and by the way, I do, I, I've been to Oslo one time and, and um, and I learned the saying, uh, how does it go? Uh, like in English, I think it's like, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. Yes, Something that, that is a Norwegian saying. That's a Norwegian yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's true because here, especially because it'll be, uh, uh, you know, it, it, like today it will be, it, if it were winter here, it could be 75, 80 degrees, which I guess, in your language, yeah, that's, is that's like more uh, like a summer day. It's a know? summer day, right? <laughs> and then the next day, 
uh, you know, a cold front blows down across the Midwest yeah. and it drops, it, it cuts in half, like yeah. what that is. And and then it all of a sudden feels very cold because yeah. it was so warm yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So I, and we don't have that there. It's much more stable. But right. the, the thing that happens in Norway, so our Constitution Day is on the 17th of May and we have lots of parades and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's looking forward to this very sunny, nice uh, day in May where everyone's out eating ice cream, etc. And this happens more often than not. But every now and then, you have snowfall on the 17th of May, <laughs> and it's a complete chaos, and people are very yeah. disappointed, and they start talking about oh, how short the summer is, etc. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you remember those things, and, and as you live here, when you live here as a Norwegian, you're like, you learn more to appreciate these hot, steamy days in Houston, because yeah. at least you get summer. You get right. But you do get a little tired of that, too. It hardly ever snows in May here. No, yeah. that, that would be an exception. That I think be, you'd be a little bit worried if that, that happened. That would be, yeah, that would... <laughs> <laughs> we, that would be that would be some movie about the end of the world. Absolutely. So, all right, uh, enough about that. Uh, digital twins. Yeah. How about what? Uh, you know, uh, you you kind of mentioned this, or you you kind of got to this in a minute ago, but we're past the point of needing to start off with a conversation about what are digital twins and why should you care about them. Um, but like, what's the landscape right now? What yeah. what uh, like big picture? What's happening? in the industry with digital twins. Yeah, so so I just came back from Asia. Actually I, happening, right? Yeah, 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 actually happening. So so yes, there's still a lot of talk and it's good because it's inspiring, etc. But I, I just came back from Asia, uh, did a conference there, talked to a lot of different operators. It was actually interesting context because over there, there's a lot of prospect for developing upstream resources, yeah. right? And and you know, and I know that developing new upstream projects is kind of, it's tricky in the, today's environment, right? But there's clear energy yeah, needs. Yeah. And then you, on the other hand, you have you have ESG coming in, you have clear, you know, net zero ambitions. All these countries are going for net zero. And, 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 and the how, financial game is different And the financial now. game, the, the, yeah, actually, even though the exactly. price is high, the, fi the financial uh, situation Absolutely. is very different. So, yeah. so the question is really, the operators are asking the financial industry, how can I get access to structured capital to actually fund these projects? So I can take FIDs. And it's, I don't think that has been fully concluded yet, but what yeah. the trends we see is that, okay, if you want to uh, set up something new in upstream, you have to have something offsetting, right? And yes, you have carbon credits and all that stuff, but CCUS, you know, bolting on hydrogen, doing offshore right. wind, it's coming up now more as energy systems than single assets, right? So in the past, it's been more, right. you develop this single asset, you maximize the performance on it, you, you look at, you know, of course, you look at the economics and all that stuff and you operate, uh, you know, operate the way you should operate. But we're seeing that there's more and more uh, types of assets that need to be managed by the companies that in the past may have been able to focus on a single asset type. So you may be adding offshore wind, you may be adding or participating in a carbon capture storage hub, you may have more intermittent supply of electricity, you may do battery farms. These things are coming into play. And so at the macro level, you actually need a new management system. You can no longer do a management system that optimizes each individual asset and is tightly interdependent. Yeah, so, so explain what you mean by management system. Yeah, so let's say, um, if you're responsible for an upstream setup and you're just measured on on throughput, so you're trying to maximize throughput because the oil price is high, right. you may not be able to do that at all times because of the way you know your assets are laid out or what's happening with your electricity generation and what's happening with sure, sure, gasification. Yeah. You know, there, it's a complex system to manage, and these can these systems can take you know take on many different 
characteristics, but they're getting more complex. So when we're talking about a management system, you're really elevating the management system to sit across these assets. So you need to know if you have an electrified offshore operation, for example, you need to know where am I, where am I going to draw electricity from and how is it going to impact my economics and the level to which I produce. And similar with you know carbon capture storage and if you have any type of you know hydrogen uh, you know uh, plant nearby and so on, you need to manage across. So the skill sets in the industry today are more honed in on individual asset operations. So you optimize in a silo. New management model looks across. It's much more of a hey, I have all these assets. I need to manage them as a whole. And what what we see is that to do that, to define those management systems, you need data. Right? There's no there's now an expectation that you know the exact implication of drawing down production or getting electricity from here or taking a decision on how you're going to leverage your infrastructure. You can't do that the old way. So you need data to be brought in in real time and you need to build a management model straddles. So that's not even talking so th about digital twin. Yeah, but this right? is really interesting because I'm trying to imagine that uh, in, in real terms. So... For example, at any given facility of any asset, you have operational systems there, right? You have yep. you have ICS and you have control systems. Yes, Absolutely. And and then you usually um, um, and and nowadays that we're a few years into digital, maybe you have other. You've got uh, sensors and things and systems that are tapping into that operational data, which historically was just produced for the yep. sake of whatever the operation was and we're pulling that data out and we're and we're doing analytics or we're pulling it into other dashboards and things to kind of help us either further automate the operation itself based on whatever your reading is or maybe it's just to come in front of human eyes so we're going to look at it and make decisions about what's happening yep. so uh, what you're saying is now we're going to take some of those same functions um, uh, in terms of uh, management uh, systems and we're like pulling them up into an Uber management system that can, it, what, so what's the advantage? So, um, I mean, if I've got, if I'm, if I'm reading, if I've got a, let's say a, a, a hydrocarbon producing asset mm -hmm. and I've got some automation that's r taking pressure readings or whatever and mm -hmm. making adjustments or opening things and closing things, What's the advantage of surfacing that up to something yeah. that looks out across other things? As yeah, well? yeah, yeah. And so, so you are enabling uh, a cross-system optimization, right? And also to do what-if scenarios across those assets. But I, I can give you some more well, conventional what are the, examples. What are the, so, how, so in my mind, the, the, this, this FPSO over here yeah. and this wind farm over here, and like there is, there's nothing shared between them. So what is there to optimize across them? Yeah, right? so, so if you, let's say, like, so this is, I'm thinking from a global perspective, there's more and more and more electrified assets, right? So, and that is going to be, you know, you may have local, uh, generation from offshore wind, but you may also have optionality with purchasing electricity from the grid. For example, in North okay. Sea, you have actually uh, cables going out there, okay. electrifying. And and 
And economics, you know, uh, will <laughs> help you make a decision on where you, for example, buy from uh, to keep your electricity costs low. That you, these are big consumers. This is just one example. A uh, much more conventional example is to to integrate the subsea with the top sites like surf and everything, so that you know that. Oh let's say, yeah, sure. Let's say you have. Sure. Let's say that you reduce the production rate on some wells for some reason, and you wanted to bring that up. Uh, back up to normal production again, you can actually run what-if simulations end-to-end -to, -end to, right. to ensure and assure that you have delivery, like a predictable delivery at your delivery point. Uh, and these are, I mean, yes, people are doing this today, but it's still very common to say, okay, well, I'm going to be shutting in as well. I'm going to ramp it back up again. I'm going to call someone who's going to run us a bunch of offline simulation studies, and then they're going to come back with some advice. Yeah. And we're moving that time horizon into the same afternoon. Right, and you so you can do it five times or ten times with what if scenarios. So that is more of a like conventional thing, but you can run you mm -hmm. know just an order of magnitude richer scenarios that give you the full, the fully integrated implication of what's going on, so that you can operate at ultimately operate better, but you can also operate more stable. You can emit less, and and that was one of the like getting very concrete yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emissions management is a there's a real concern around managing emissions, you know, and at scope one, two, three levels, and net mm. zero is here. I heard about that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we are all, you know, in the industry has participants accountable for driving that. So, so, and that's, I feel like we're, there's a strong consensus now that we need to manage, we need to manage our assets towards that goal, whether that is 2040 or 2050 or 2060 on net zero basis, yeah. we still need to move in that direction. And, we need data and we need integrated systems to manage those assets in the most efficient, safe and sound way. Yeah, okay, I get it. By the way, you know that you know what the formula is for how to calculate when your net zero is gonna come, whether it's 20, 30, the, the formula is you look at what's the average time that all of your executive team retires and then, <laughs> and, then and then you go seven years beyond that date oh uh, okay <laughs> and, i and, see uh, yeah um, i knew it was something like that i was trying to figure it out so uh no but but what you're describing then um means so the next place in my head goes thinking in in real world real world terms is um even if you could magically wave your digital transformation wand and have yeah, all that yeah. stuff in place, yeah. you now need people at in leadership positions and op operational leadership positions at these companies who can kind of think at that level, yep. right? Yep. Um, and and not, so it's one thing to have the tools for for man for that management across you know the unified management, but it's a whole other thing to have people who have the experience and the knowledge, right, and the inclination. Oh, absolutely. To think that way. So I'm a bit encouraged by a few things. So I was in a boardroom last week. Uh -huh. CEO points to me and pushes me hard on these things. Right? Yeah. We need more of that. Tell me more about the advanced optimization. Capabilities. Tell me more about how that scales, right? Right. So that gives me encouragement. Uh, the industry now, has heard this. Were you watching his team when he said that? Because if they were rolling their eyes, <laughs> they know. were not actually. Okay. I mean, this, right. this was pretty. You know, it was pretty exciting stuff. And and so I know that the narrative is hitting. You know, it's it's coming from the C-suite. It's, it's certainly hitting the C-suite. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of pressure and expectations. I stakeholders like from stakeholders. Uh, I think that's a good thing. And. Uh, I also see that uh, we now have 
maybe there's a bit of a new breed of executive also in this mm. industry, right? There, I think there's been a lot of change. Uh, what we have seen is that digital has come up as a priority. If you read the various annual reports from very large companies, they more often than not mention that digital is a priority. And, and I think then it becomes about, okay, but what is it going to be delivered uh, to, you know, uh, you know, towards and, and what is it going to, to propel forward? And, and we see a lot of these sustainability, uh, like meaningful sustainability, sustainability initiatives like better emissions management. And that comes down to uh, being able to track and trace and understand how much you're emitting. And, and, and so it's something very concrete, right? Like taking it to a very concrete level, something we invested in. So we, we leveraged our simulators to be able to generate what we call virtual sensors. I think I mentioned yeah, this yeah, a little bit yeah, too yeah. last time I was here, but this, there's specific interest in this area around understanding emissions. Like the, um, the measurement system may not be accurate in all cases and, and operators are seeking to understand what their total emissions or practical. Like. I mean, the, um, and we've, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit um, with some other folks. I think uh, the guys over at Avanad are, are working on something similar with uh, uh, basically a digital twin for, for mm -hmm. carbon capture. Mm -hmm. The idea being that you can't you can't realistically measure what's coming out of a refinery. Oh, it's, hard. it's really hard, right? Yeah. But if you can create, if you can understand if you can take certain data points, create a, some sort of a simulation of digital twin and understand what the correlations are, then you can reasonably say that if, if it looks like this, then that means this is what's happening in real. Exactly, right? and, and, and that is down to specific, very specifics, uh, very much specifics again, right? You, what we have, so we have this data quality excuse that's been per perpetuated in, uh, in the energy industry. It's like, I don't want to do anything because I don't have good data quality, right? So we use the simulators to generate good quality virtual sensor readings uh, that we can use to aggregate and understand the footprint of emissions. Right. And then once you aggregate it up, then you can start prioritizing areas, right? You can start prioritizing high impact addressable areas on your facility. So this is about making things real, okay, right? So that's, so that's kind of next level down. From, absolutely. From, yeah. So going from uh, trying to create some sort of a model of the emissions of a whole facility mm -hmm. down to... Putting it on the P&ID. Yeah, right, right. right. So, so and, and I would say we can all talk about strategy, right? That's kind but, of intense. I mean, oh, you, yeah. you said yeah. that like pretty easy, but that's a, that's a, it's that that's level. a big deal. Uh, yeah. it, it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, thanks for saying that because sometimes we talk about the P&ID, then engineers will say, oh, but I'm already doing this. Like I have the P&ID and then I go to my SCADA system or my, my data historian. But, and this sounds very simple, but we were able to come up with methods to quickly cross-reference the tag structure. So that's what's in your data historian. Yeah. with the PNID and then we stream that data onto the PNID and we can also now generate virtual uh, sensors based on based on the PNID and 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 we can talk about strategy a lot but it only matters when it augments what you do on a day-to-day -day basis otherwise a strategy deck is worthless right, right, right once right. it's written it's worthless unless something happens so we're putting these things on the PNID in front of engineers and and the result is that they actually address it because they see information so, in a new in a new uh, in the same format but with richer context. So how are they seeing it? I mean, I, I can kind of visualize what's happening on the back end with the data and things, but how yeah. are you getting it in front of their eyes? So, so it's almost like you should we should run a demo. But uh, <laughs> but can you imagine that you have a, a PNID and. Uh, and so for those who don't know what those, it is, this process is an yes, instrumentation yeah. diagram. So this right. is all your equipment and your pipes right. laid out in, in a 
two-dimensional plots, right? And and we've been digitizing those for some yeah, number yeah, of years yeah, where yeah, you can yeah. smart you can zoom stuff. in on a particular yes. and all that. And right? you can click through yeah, and all that. Yeah, so yeah. there's nothing new there, right? But right. but so imagine you could click on the valve in the PNID and it could just give you like a time series data for that valve, right? What's the what's or across the piece of equipment? What's the differential pressure? What's the temperature? And what's the flow and, and what's the composition vector if it's a hydrocarbon stream, right? So so those would be manual lookups and correlations. And, and, and yeah. what, what about my equipment maintenance history? So literally is the PNID and you click on the equipment and you get all the information there. So you don't have to ask your three friends and go look it up in, in your ERP you don't have to go to the historian cross-reference and all that stuff or to the no, customer. No, you're not seeing them. so real-time versus what you so, – so where's the where, where's the data coming from? It's coming from it's, it's, not, coming, it's coming from the same places. Yeah. So well, there's, You mentioned the historian, which – Yep. So, well, it's nice to know we're finally using historians yeah, for yes. something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so typical. Um, interface is very a bit, but most of it is the same at least when you're standing up. So your ERP – yeah, has a source, a source for a lot of good business like transactional information, like work orders, for example, and equipment data. And your data historian has a, a lot of richness on pressure, volume, temperature, trend, data trends in general, data events coming in from you know inspection systems, yeah, okay. and yeah, you name it, three D models, engineering data. So there's a lot of uh, engineering data software vendors that have decomposed the, all the engineering data on a facility into a database. We, we actually bring that together with all of this information in one place. We do it on 2D with PNIDs, but we also do fully immersive 3D. Uh-huh. And that, but we have to kind of make sure that you don't only do 3D because not everyone will use it, right? Yeah. Like, you could try, but you're gonna lose part of your audience. Right. People like to start where they're familiar, and then then you gradually change that work process. Right. But you save like thirty percent of time just doing that. Yeah, so that's how you start. It's a wait for the video game generation to really come into, and then because oh, yeah. they're, they're used to looking at things in in three yeah. D, right? But I think uh, so, yeah. right? There actually, is an expectation there, and it yeah. needs to be fast, it needs to respond, we respond right away. Right. So this is like both the the newer generation of worker and the let's say the more senior generation right. of worker they will expect a lot from these interfaces. So we have to release something that just works, right? If something doesn't respond, you hear about it right away, but then you know they're there and using yeah. it. So, yeah. so, but this is not, I think what I'm talking about now is not really rocket science, but it's really about making a meaningful interface to your data. Yeah. So you can start making decisions on right. it. But that's, but that's key, right? I mean, um, I remember, uh, let's see, I want to say it was probably right around 2015, maybe. So really, before oil and gas got serious about digital transformation, but kind of just as we were coming out of the 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 2014-2015 debacle, right? And uh, and at that time, the whole concept of analytics was really beca- taking root in a lot of places, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, uh, and people were using those words, right? Uh, 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 predictive, oh, yeah. uh, prescriptive—I right. don't know—prohibitive, maybe autonomy, right? Like, like the different types <laughs> of analytics that that uh, and and very early, you know, in trying to do this. And um, so this is before we we're talking about digital twins, before we we're talking really digital, just these these new, and before we we're talking about MI and or ML and MI, ML and AI, and. And I was working with one uh, fairly large mid-sized operator, and they put this whole 
uh, initiative together to uh, for uh, assets in a particular large unconventional play and said, uh, we're going to do the, this analytics that's going to help the team do X, Y, Z. I don't remember what it was exactly. No. but So they put a team of smart people in a room. Uh, they spent uh, a couple of months uh, pulling together data from uh, from all these different places and crunching it and putting it in different ways and da, da, da. and they came out with something that said like ta-da here's a bunch of intelligence about what you're doing and what you should do differently and 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 my first thought at the time was I said yeah but how so how are you going to take what you just did how are you going to take what these four or five people did over the course of weeks and months, like you have to operationalize that and you have to have a regular flow of that data from all the systems to the thing. And then, and the big thing, and this was what I really questioned was I said, how are you going to get it in front of the eyes of the people who need to see it to make the decisions? Like the distribution part is like, without that, you have, you have nothing. Right. And, uh, Oddly enough, when they presented it to a couple of asset managers from the Eagleford, the first thing they said was, that's fantastic. I want that on this asset and this asset and this asset and this asset. And how frequently can you update it? Right. And they were like, wow, it took us like four months just to do this. So, so it's a it's a it's a it's a. you know, we're, we're well beyond that now, yeah, but yeah. that's an important point, which is unless you can uh, have the stuff deployed to people mm-hmm. with the right frequency and in the right format for them to to use in a way that makes sense to them, then it's all just an academic exercise, right? I, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, we're a software company, right? So we're about scale. So we had to find a way to do this really quickly. So we had to, what you're describing, we had to essentially... And we were there in the beginning as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we had to productize it, and that's yeah, that's a whole nother. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so. Yeah. So it has you, to work the same way in two different places. Yeah, yeah. and you have to yeah. try to you know you also have to work with your customer to get a standard set of integrations so that you yeah, you know yeah. start, have the same starting point, etc. But yeah, we went through that exercise, and we went from being more like R and D to being product, and then going from product to like scale product, and. Right. Yeah, lots of learnings, but it's possible to scale, actually. Like, there's this this conception out there also, I think, within the energy industry that all assets or operators are very, very different. And they may have, you know, their differences, but what we see is that most of it is the same, actually. It's it's the same systems. It's very, very similar problems. Um, they, their and economics think, may be a little bit different, but I think people in the industry have come similar. to embrace that here. Uh, in the last they're few years. Yeah, definitely yeah. come a long yeah. way. Yeah. It's been, been a lot of interesting conversations over the over the right. years. But what we have seen is that we can we can scale at uh, roughly the same pace across complex operators and and also within operators, right? Because I mean, there's no secret that operators were rich asset portfolios that have where many of them have come in through acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera, or been given latitude oh, yeah, to select yeah. their own control system and their own kind of suite of systems. You end up with this plethora of uh, systems that feed into whatever the digital or data foundation yeah. is. And we have to figure out a way to do that in a very streamlined way and very fast way. And pleased to say that we're now deploying between two to four months at a kind of scalable product level so we can go from zero to nothing in yeah, a couple that, months that on upstream so that months. is We've done less too but that, yeah that definitely fits kind of the modern expectations um yeah. what um or requirements i should say at what scale of functionality in that yeah, yeah, yeah so 
or how, you, how broad is the how yeah, the, the footprint after breadth. a couple of months will be typically you will have your historian your erp especially work orders your engineering data and your 2d 3d representation in there and perhaps your inspection as well so that you create this collaboration foundation so people are starting so to you, look at you the, get the basics right yeah. yeah you get the basics and and you got to start that rotation and then you can start of course layering in things like intelligent models right after that and that can be let's say you were talking about automation systems uh dcs and so on right and often people have invested in some type of analytics package with a vendor yeah. right yeah, yeah so what it was important to us was that we didn't become this proprietary monolithic uh, software like yeah. uh, and the software industry has rightfully been accused of being you know tending to become yeah, especially monolithic. in this industry yeah yeah a and we can't be like that so so our strategy is not to be a monolith right. so everything is built on apis and openness and transparency and partnerships right so if you have a third party uh let's say analytics package that you've bought that you committed to you invested in or if even if you've done your own internal development for, in your data science team we interface with that. We can deploy it on the platform if it's possible to do so. We interface over APIs. So it's a really different different kind of economy out there. It's an ecosystem economy. And it became yeah. really critical for, for our customers that we we also, you know, took that position because there is this vast landscape of value contributors out there. And there's a lot of specialized companies that can scale with the platforms and that will be invested in and will be cultivated and they just need a home for that data to be delivered to the end user so yeah. we call that the unified work surface mm -hmm. so you log the vision is you log in you come to the work you log in and you get all your industrial data in one yeah place. yeah that um that approach is kind of a of a growing trend among i mean um that's what uh, Corva is trying to do with their dr with their drilling right. uh, with the yep. platform right now. Now you can that same work surface uh, besides their I forget what they call them applets or whatever, but yep. their bits of functionality. Other people can now contribute stuff to that. Exactly. It's so much it's so much better for them for the industry that way. Right? I think so. I mean, um, plug and play. You know, if you don't like some, it's like Netflix. You know, don't like the TV show, unsubscribe. You know, you want to adhere to that principle. Right. right. And, and then you can bring in innovations more quickly. So, but it's up to us as an industry to uh, to really have this uh, API economy, right? Yeah, uh, application yeah. programming interfaces yeah, 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 or yeah. software components to talk to each other. Well, and I, so in some ways, uh, a good way to appreciate that is to think about what, what was the opposite. So I won't use any product names because we're friends with the people at all those companies. But <laughs> yeah. but think about the the software products traditionally that. Um, just learning the menu system was kind of like the first day of training, yeah. right? You go into the application, there's so many different menus with so many different, right? And, and, um, and the use cases uh, are, were so broad that, um, that I remember seeing cases where different people within a, uh, within, within a company in different disciplines use the same software package and did not for different jobs and didn't know that that software package was also used by these people <laughs> to do this job because that functionality was never it was never even seen and it's more complicated by the licensing right because depending on which user license you have it turns on or off different functions so the moral here though too is um um you know if you uh 
if you're on the the sell side of this, right? If you're if you're somebody making software nowadays, and I'm sure, so you're involved in the commercial side, so you probably see this. Um, but keeping that those the functionality more condensed and focused on a on a specific use case or small set of use cases, and then having that plug into like a platform that's got a whole bunch of things, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to sell that now is much simpler because it's a simpler transaction to sell this bit to those people <laughs> who do that thing, right? And then you can sell this bit over here to those people who do that thing. And it's all part of your platform, but you can, it, it's a simpler conversation to have, like like your buyer and your user start to become more kind of the same person. Oh, absolutely. Right? It's the value, right? Where is and the value? So you got to deliver on value to those end users. Right. And that will come in the context of uh, very often a business workflow, right? So if you're a maintenance person, you want right. to make sure that you can do your, you know, your maintenance work with a digital twin. That actually helps you yeah, uh, yeah, do yeah. your job. If you're a production engineer, you want to look at you know, hydrocarbon flow. You want to look at what if scenario simulation, that sort of thing. If you're an HSC person, you want to see HSC. You want to say aggregated risk, right? right. right? So, so you got to be able to speak to the audience that is looking for value and then doing that without creating uh, silos, right? So, so, and, uh, and yeah. so I think there's a better appreciation for the silo avoidance uh, priority uh, <laughs> these days, right? Because people need to, again, it comes back to how you want to operate your assets now going forward, right? Yeah. You're more integrated uh, and the teams become more, uh, let's say the support model for assets even in upstream is becoming more one-to-many. You have central, centralized control rooms that are overseeing many assets. Right. You're wanting to reduce your logistics trips out to an offshore operation, for example. So you have maybe like an astronaut type person out there who has multi-skilled, yeah. but supported by a very you know, qualified centralized control room where you have your 12 PhDs covering all functions sitting, giving the instruction, and you're looking at the same digital surface to analyze the data. So. So yeah, it's uh, it's, it's kind of it's remarkable because as you're describing that, I'm I'm remembering even just not that many years ago, if you would have been sitting in a room with the people that did those various technical jobs, right, whether the science or the engineering or whatever, and describe that world for them. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that if a geologist, like if a if an operational geologist in Texas was working on a problem and needed to get input from a colleague in a different part of the world like it was a real mm-hmm. it, it was it was a real challenge right yeah, yeah. like like just to collaborate with that one person and now you're talking about well we've got the connectivity so that that centralization of control is made possible because we have we you have, have connectivity, connectivity now, you right? have cloud right um, so obviously we're the digital twin runs in the cloud it's a url right you can be in you know it doesn't matter if you're in the u.s or peru or you know australia you can do it um, yeah and you see the same data on the same interface. So it's that became, and this is this is a cliche, but COVID became like a um, catalyst for a lot of those things, even yeah. in local environments where people couldn't go to site, so or, or they wanted to avoid going to site more, right? right? right. So, so then they wanted to sit at home and browse the asset and really minimize the trips. So so then it becomes real. The yeah, strategy yeah, yeah. deck became a real activity, which right. is really where it matters, right? Yep. So So that's the appreciation that you need to have from all the way from the top, but really down to where people are doing meaningful things at the site, right? We're changing out valves or uh, tweaking the production curve uh, on a well or mm-hmm. changing out equipment on a complex facility. That's where you got to add value. Like, for example, isolation planning, 
right? That happens every day. But uh, like you're preparing for an isolation plan and you want to see the impact on, you know, if I turn on this, turn off this part of the facility in terms of a higher carbon flow, where do I need to, Yeah. where do I need to, what valves do I need to turn? So right now we're investing a lot into that actually, making sure that there's more automation in that space. So you can go in and that PNID, mm-hmm. click on it and you'd, you'd be told where you should turn valves and, and you get instructions, you can aggregate information, you can hand over that isolation plan to someone. Yeah, yeah. Instead of going to a hundred different systems and putting in all Excel and PowerPoint, having the meeting and then sending it over and then no one really, maybe you upload the... <laughs> it just came alive all of a sudden. <laughs> it got interested. No. Well, I think, uh, it, it, so this thing wants to be like on a, on a, on a radio cart and go around yeah. and, and be able, cause you know, you gotta, uh, cause you're getting into an area, cause part of what you're, what you're saying is also, uh, works really nicely with this new trend where we would really like to get people out of the red zones yeah. and not have yeah, to yeah, have yeah. so much, oh, yeah. you know, people looking at gauges and turning knobs themselves. And, and this guy wants to get on the action because yeah, he heard about, he heard about that dog robot, you know, that just goes walking in yeah, there yeah, and yeah. does it. And now the he, Boston Dynamics he, one? Yeah, 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 he wants to, we, we don't, we're not allowed to say that here yeah. at oh, our yeah. specialties, but right no, <laughs> <laughs> no okay. so, um, uh, all right, so we're running. We're at, you know it's kind of funny because we're kind of near the end of the time, and I don't think we talked about anything that that uh, we planned to talk about. But then again, we didn't plan very well. So um, what about uh, you know? I wanted to ask you like what's coming next? What's yeah. some of the cool stuff that's coming next? But what you already described as far as this like Uber management across uh, you know it used to be when we said different types of assets, we meant you know. Onshore, shallow water, you know, uh, conventional, unconventional. But now, when you say solar, wind, offshore wind, right? batteries, yeah. it's happening. So, uh, so I guess that's the next, yeah. the next level. It is the next level, and and I really think that you know you cannot manage that the old ways, right? So, so this is going to become a catalyst for a lot of good. So I think there's a lot of, uh, you know. Uh, directionally very positive things that are happening yeah, yeah. Uh, in this industry. Yeah. So what would be, uh, just to wrap up, um, if, if somebody's sitting out there going, yeah, yeah, that's what we need to do. What's, um, uh, I know that you could give advice for the next 30 minutes, but <laughs> yeah. what's what's some very concise advice about how to kind of evaluate where you are and where you need to go to someday become that utopian society of managing all assets? <laughs> How to become a utopian society? <laughs> yeah, yeah I definitely need yeah. half an hour. We'll come back to the yeah to the philosophical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know. Um, I would I would say, uh, of course, you got to take a look at where you are today. Do an assessment of you know you know where you're at in terms of uh, you know your people, uh, how you manage your assets. Are you ready for this uh, next wave of change? Because it's coming. The expectations are coming very fast. The good news is that technology is maturing even faster. Mm-hmm. Right. So so. All of the things that we talked about today, they're not a far-fetched like sci-fi movie, right? Yeah, it, it can actually be achieved, but it's possible In two to, to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not all of them. Like Maybe it's not. a gradual story. We talked about some <laughs> advanced, very advanced things too. But you, yeah, in yeah. terms of very, you know, we described some very tactical things, and they're very yeah, achievable, yeah, very fast. For sure. So, 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 you know, I'd invite, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, anyone who wants to kind of reach out and have a conversation. We can definitely assess like a data foundation, like w- what you have in terms of data. And I think the advice is. You know, data quality is a challenge, right? We we all see yeah. it, but it isn't 
necessarily as bad as you think, right? You can actually use some of these tools as validation tools for how ready you are and then start prioritizing certain areas. Maybe your utility system is ready, but your main process system is not ready. Start with the utility system, vice versa. Like right. be, be a little bit more smart about it, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and try to try to do that analysis and you can start something that becomes an incremental and continuously improving process. And that's this is that's the thing with the digital twin, right? It actually is never finished. It's a continuous process of improvement. Right. I so, mean we've so seen you can, that we've seen that on the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Was that a good did that end well? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I, I think so, so too. All right. Yeah. All right, good stuff. So uh to take a look at where you are, uh, be more smart and yeah, start yeah. where and you are. And we are there to help with that. I'm right? glad you mentioned the data quality thing because it it does tend to be that way in this industry. It's all fun and games until we come back to that data quality problem and then we're all yeah. stuck in but the But we can right? put that data quality now on that remember that PNID, right? We can actually show it on the PNID and say, "Hey, here's a cluster of good data and bad right, data, right. and it allows you to prioritize. So, and that's very tangible. Yeah. Right? You can say, "Oh, I don't like System 50, but I like System 51." Yeah. Let's focus. Start. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so you can use it as a tool too, Makes and sense. that's an overlooked item. So, yeah, lots of stuff we can do. Yeah. Cool. All right. Good. We will. Uh, we'll put your. We'll put your LinkedIn stuff in the Absolutely. show notes, and if there's anything else that you want to point people to, but. Uh, that's going to do it for today. So, Hovard Ustensen, thank you for coming back again. Oh, Great pleasure. conversation. Thanks. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.